Hello and welcome to Crosstalk, where all things are considered. I'm Peter Lavelle. The foreign policy team of a potential Biden administration is being touted by the liberal media. We tell you why all of us should be horrified. Also, there's a lot of talk of a great reset and build back better. Does looking backward bode well for the future? To discuss these issues and more, I'm joined by my guest, Patrick Henningsen in Plymouth. He's the editor and founder of the 21st Century Wire. And here in Moscow, we're joined by Dmitry Babich. He's a political analyst and editor at InnoSME Internet Media Project. All right, gentlemen, crosstalk rules in effect. That means you can jump in anytime you want, and I always appreciate it. Okay, let's go to Patrick first here in Plymouth. Um, in watching the potential um, Biden uh, a cabinet being presented to the public through the liberal media. We heard uh, phrases like, um, they are like the Avengers, is like they're superheroes or something like that. And then there was a talking head on PBS saying, these are um, uh, intensely professional people and they're apolitical. I mean, I almost fell out of my chair when that was said here. I look at this team and it's a rogues gallery of, uh, of people that want endless war, promote them, were very much involved in um, um, designing wars that are still being fought. And they're being, and the liberal media is cheering them as if there's some kind of um, um, an, an enlightenment after darkness, okay? Obviously, the Donald Trump is the darkness in their mind. But there's a lot of continuity here. And I think this is what's really terrifying. And we have election cycle after election cycle where the public says they're sick and tired of these wars. But it doesn't seem to have much of an impact on the uh, professional managerial class that runs what I call the foreign policy blob. Take it away, Patrick. No, you're, you're right to point out, Peter, about the continuity. There's a, if you look back at history, there's a tremendous continuity of U.S. foreign policy from administration to administration. It's a slow-moving elephant. It doesn't change much between administrations, but it did change for the last four years. This is probably tr the Trump administration is probably the biggest break uh, in yes. terms of continuity of U.S. foreign policy in my lifetime any way that I could remember and many others. So there is that there was a break in continuity. And I think that break uh, was born out of the political uh, will of the American people electing a populist president. And so the, the it triggered an autoimmune reaction from the establishment in America. That yeah. includes the media as well. So with with if Biden assumes power, let's assume he's going to take the reins in January, uh, then you know, the Democrats are going to have the media on their side for everything. There will be no uh, holding them to account. It'll just be kind of a cheering section, much like it was for eight years under Obama. And you you can see where that led the U.S. and led the world, which was one of the darkest periods, in my opinion, uh, in geopolitical history. Uh, this president started um, a, a numerable amount of new wars from Yemen, dismembered Yemen, dismembered the Ukraine, dismembered Libya, nearly dismembered Syria, if not for the help of Syria's allies, Russia uh, and uh, Iran. So, uh, but now they're going to have a chance to resume some of those projects. I mean, but they'll also, in terms of continuity, they will 
look at what tr the Trump framework is and and most likely work with it. Tr Trump has allowed uh, the Democrats in this sense to be more hawkish, let's say, against Iran than the Obama administration was. I, th I see that as going to continue the appointment of Jake Sullivan recently yep. as a national security advisor at the tender age of 43 years old. He's just a child. Well, and, and, and we have to remember, let me go to Dima here, uh, Jake Sullivan was one of the great cheerleaders of the Russiagate conspiracy hoax. So uh, this is the, the resumes that the liberal media is cheering on here. Um, when we look at um, uh, Anthony Blinken, Blinken, he is one of the architects of the breakup of Yugoslavia. A lot of people don't know that. He was in the White House when when uh, when uh, Libya was destroyed and has regrets that Obama didn't do more to intervene in the international proxy war in Syria here. So it's uh, much of the same. It's kind of like an Obama 2.0. But the difference is, Dima here, is that the neo cons have been able to transmigrate into both major parties and most importantly into the media it's a closed circle now go ahead Dima. well uh, you're exactly right you have uh, uh, whatever you call them ultra liberals neoliberals you have them inside both parties and unfortunately you know what was really bad uh, under under trump uh, there was a legislative framework created so uh, whoever is the new secretary of state whoever is the new say uh, representative in the un they are going to act in the legislative framework left uh, by the terrible congress you know the congress under uh, mr trump introduced things like katsa which actually kind of institutionalizes a, a kind of hybrid war against Russia. Just imagine uh, these people obliged the American state to keep track of rich people in Russia who have connections to the government, their families, you know, to, to pursue them basically around the world. Well, that was basically a legislative declaration of war for many years. So unfortunately, the new administration, whoever joins us, is going to act inside that framework. But, you know, what really struck me was uh, the fact that despite the fact that 74 million, at least 74 million Americans voted for Trump, there is no respect uh, for them. There is no excuse from Joe Biden, you know. Uh, uh, some people call him Obama. I think it's a very, it's a very <laughs> good name because basically he, he didn't say that he would alter uh, Obama's policies because 74 million people voted for Trump, you know. And that's despite uh, uh, his program saying, you know, this build back uh, uh, better. How, how does it start? Nobody has more respect than Joe Biden for the working women and men who get up every day to build and sustain this country. Well, 74 million of these people voted for someone else. Tell them something, you know, tell them how you're going to be different from Obama. But Joe Biden just said, I lost in my lifetime, so you are going to lose too. That's all the excuses he had. But that's the point. You know, nothing will fundamentally change. That, you know, that is the message here. You know, you know, Patrick, one of the things I lament most through this election cycle is that it was, in, in, and I think you and I have been watching politics from a very uh, young age, it was completely devoid of policy. So we, we're doing on this program right now, trying to to uh, interpolate what a Biden foreign policy, if he is uh, inaugurated, uh, what a Biden foreign policy would be through people that he's picking to be in his cabinet. Because, well, Joe didn't say very much during the campaign other than he didn't like uh, Trump's tweets and he wore a mask. I mean, that was the long and short of it. 
No, no, you're right. So the the big what's going to be the big difference uh, in, in terms of Democrats versus Republicans? I won't even put the Trump administration into a Republican basket traditionally. I agree. But let's just say, for for argument's sake, is is the toolbox. The Democrats have a certain toolbox. They'll shuttle in all the same people. The architects, uh, Samantha Power, Susan Rice, all the responsibility to protect crowd. That's their toolbox. It's human rights. It's emotive narratives. It's refugees. It's we need to save the people. We need to intervene. And so they will sort of roll this out. The media absolutely is trained for this. CNN is is built for that. Basically, all the NGO frameworks, that's part of their uh, toolbox. The language that they'll use, uh, it'll be a humanitarian, a kinder, gentler form of, uh, for lack of a better term, imperialism uh, that we saw under Obama. And that's how the Democrats roll. But, so, but Patrick, I think you would agree with me that inside that toolbox that I think you aptly described is two, the two, there'll be two missing words, international law. Agree? Right. No, it'll be international norms. Norms. Oh, okay. It will be, it'll be the, the rules-based international order. There you go. There you that's, go. Their, that's their language. That's the, the same language that you'll see coming out of the G7. Uh, this will be repeated by Britain. Uh, they, the Democrats tend to work through multilateral uh, organizations like NATO to do their, you know, prosecute wars, for instance, because it gives them kind of, you know, uh, public relations cover or it waters down their sort of culpability. Obama did this in Libya to great, uh, great skill. Uh, and so this, this is what you'll see. The UN will become more in the forefront in terms of humanitarian issues and intervention. So you have the liberal internationalist interventionist, neoliberal interventionist, which is really a neoconservative uh, yeah. you know, uh, outgrowth, really. Uh, and, just, and, and they will be and they will tell us over and over again that this is the essence of the international community. No, it is really the Washington consensus here, okay? You know, Dima, you, you kind of hinted at it here. Um, I fully expect that um, um, Syria could be on the agenda uh, again, um, Russia. Um, they've been kind of opaque in how they want to deal with China, which I think will be very, very interesting. But again, because we didn't have it during the campaign, we really don't uh, have a clear understanding what a, a potential Biden administration will go. What are some of the things that you're looking at as we kind of, you know, read the tea leaves here? Go ahead. Uh, well, uh, one of the candidates for the defense secretary's position, Michelle Fournoy, she is called a specialist on Russia, you know, Pentagon's main <laughs> specialist on Russia. Well, I'm, I'm usually somewhat, I feel uneasy when uh, certain, uh, you know, uh, ministries, uh, certain uh, uh, secretaries in the American administration are headed by specialists uh, on this or that country, because usually they're the specialists on destroying that country or at best demonizing that country. I mean, like uh, specialists on Syria in the United States were usually the most outspoken supporters of, uh, uh, of the regime change there, which actually meant civil war and supporting uh, Muslim Brotherhood and other extremist organizations, which in fact started the civil war in Syria, but of course the American media presented it as just, you know, some kind of an outburst against peaceful demonstrations by the Syrian government. So I'm, I'm somewhat uh, uh, uneasy, you know, when I hear that Michel Flournoy, a specialist on Russia, is probably going to head the defense team. Uh, William Burns, uh, uh, well, has a dubious reputation because I know that during his
his tenure as an ambassador in Russia, he said many right words, but his book is terrible and his articles are awful. So unfortunately, uh, also, you know, the, the problem with the neoliberal or ultra-liberal ideology is the same as with other totalitarian ideologies. Uh, uh, people at the top, uh, some of them supported out of conviction. Some of them supported out of pure pragmatism. I'm sorry, just you know, to sustain their families and become rich. And, and sometimes you have a combination. You know, in order to make your life better and secure, these people kind of absorb uh, these uh, uh, norms of uh, ultra-liberal, neoliberal, totalitarian ideology, they absorb these things into their writings, uh, into their thinking, just well, because you know, it's wanna, so much more comfortable. And I mean, let's finish off with Patrick here. Here, um, It's a grift, too. I mean, if you look at these, um, a list of people that could or have high positions in the foreign policy realm here, I mean, they, they're lobbyists or act as lobbyists working hand in hand with the defense industry and other industries. And it's a huge grift. They made a lot of money. Now they're on top here. Last 10 seconds. Go to you, Patrick. Go ahead. No, it, it is. They're, they're, they're all going to be in gainful employment. And there's a whole coterie of analysts that will be shuttled into CNN and foreign policy experts. But the, the main thing, and the last thing I'll say is Joe Biden was self-appointed viceroy of the Ukraine during the Obama administration. So, you know, the situation of the Donbass, they're going to uh, want to let that languish for We're going to keep an eye on here. We're going to go to a hard break. And after that hard break, we'll continue our discussion on some real news. Stay with RT. Welcome back to Crosstalk, where all things are considered. I'm Peter LaBelle. To remind you, we're discussing some real news. Okay, let's go back to uh, Plymouth. Pa Patrick, in the, the two terms, the, uh, uh, the great reset and build back better is being bandied around. And I guess, you know, they, they seem rather innocuous and harmless here, but I find them to be uh, quite sinister um, because this is a way to change the world. Again, maybe that's not a bad thing when things are pretty gloomy right now because of the economic turndown and the pandemic. But it seems to me using these terms is a back door to do what you want uh, without voter consent. And there's going to be no debate. It's just going to be administratively applied. And it will be applied in all sectors of our lives here, again, without our permission. Your thoughts? No, this, this is a, a big, uh, unprecedented situation where, you know, you look at uh, Joe Biden, for instance, he had Build Back Better uh, as a, you know, campaign slogan. This is the same exact slogan that appears behind Boris Johnson. It appears behind Justin Trudeau. You can see Angela Merkel's using this terminology, and it's coming out of the World Economic Forum in Davos. So it's the first time uh, an international organization's kind of running the, the, the platform for a mainline U.S. presidential candidate during an election. I mean, this is unheard of. And so you have to step back and without being too conspiratorial, saying there's a bit of harmonization there and coordination there that's kind of obvious. And the main point is, is I think what you said, Peter, is that voters in Britain, voters in the United States, they don't, they're not voting on Davos's Great Reset agenda. They never had a chance. There was never a referendum. This is just being absorbed. Uh, so, and this is all basically in line 
align with the UN's sustainable development goals of 2030. So this is kind of a race to meet all these uh, arbitrary technocratic standards that have been laid out by all these various UN committees and all these climate conferences uh, that have been going on for two decades. And so it's uh, the Five Eyes countries are totally on board with this, Australia, especially New Zealand, and then most of the European countries are already <clears throat> pretty much signed up to it as well. So, but they're, they're really rebuilding a system that they themselves broke. Uh, this, this is really going to prop up uh, the Green New Deal, which is the, the objective of this, is, is, is propping up a system, a financial system that is, you know, absolutely over leveraged. And what have they done in the last nine months? They have over leveraged again uh, with bailouts and, and QE and stimuluses, uh, a system that was already on its hands and knees. So this is really setting up the Green New Deal, the rating of pension yeah, funds. Well, let, let's be, it's be, I agree with you, but let's be very, very clear with our viewers here. The New Green Deal is not just about the environment. I mean, again, this is a Trojan horse to change so many things. And, you know, the, in, until it's, I, uh, I am proven uh, otherwise, it is just a continued transfer of wealth to the very richest in, in the world. Okay, it's, it, it's no coincidence that they're doing this. Okay, this is an opportunity to keep that um, uh, uh, financial system and, and paradigm in place here. But, you know, Dima, the interesting thing is, is that with this great reset and build back better, it's, again, these are like, and now we get to use dog whistle, okay? These are dog whistles against populism. That's what it is. And and they're the, the because of the failed economic system that we, we are living with now, at least failed for the vast majority of us, um, populism is a threat to them. And these, these two ideas, these two pillars, is to make sure something like Trump never happens again. They're determined to do this, okay? They're very determined. And this, the, the pandemic and economic turndown is their opportunity to act now and to act in unison. Go ahead, Dima. Oh, you're absolutely right. Uh, uh, it, it is a moment when uh, the ultra-liberals can uh, kind of strengthen their the grip on power, not just in the United States, but around the world. Uh, but also, uh, I mean, I, just, I was just stunned uh, what a short memory people have, because in that uh, build back better, uh, well, first I'm terrified by the word reset, because we had a reset with Obama in 2010 in uh, Russian-American relations, and the end of the reset was terrible. You know, it was uh, the civil war in Ukraine, basically provoked uh, by the West, provoked by the coup that they supported uh, in Kiev. Uh, uh, it was the war in Syria. Uh, and people have such a short memory because inside that program, uh, what do we read? Uh, this is the second time we have seen the second bailout in 12 years for big corporations and Wall Street. Well, who did the first bailout in 2009, 2010? Uh, wasn't it Mr. Obama, by any way, and his vice president, Joe Biden? <laughs> uh, you know, the, the crisis, uh, uh, we remember it started under Bush, but uh, basically the bailout, you know, the, the salvaging of uh, big banks was, was all done by Obama's team. Actually, Obama promised, uh, he made two promises, uh, that he would work for uh, the working people and that he would uh, uh, take big money out of politics. Well, we remember that in the end of Obama's term, it was not just big money operating full swing in support of Hillary Clinton. Uh, Obama was the first president who allowed 
secret services, you know, basically special services to get involved. We remember how they got involved in American politics and suddenly we, we had this new actor, the intelligence community, you know, something that even the president cannot contradict, you know, the intelligence community said Russia put uh, Trump in power. And, and absurd as that may sound, was, we were supposed to believe it, you know. Now the conspiracy theory about, uh, you know, uh, uh, Trump being supported by no, uh, about uh, Biden being supported by Venezuela and, and, and Chinese money, that is a conspiracy theory, everyone agrees. But the theory about Trump being supported by Russia is, is equally absurd, and everyone was supposed to believe in it, you know. Uh, I, and I quite agree with you on the uh, Green New Deal. Uh, well, I, I think President Macron, who usually makes very lengthy, empty speeches, he struck a chord with many voters, I think about a week ago, when in his long interview, he said that, you know, for decades, people were encouraged to get homes outside cities to take their children to additional classes in their cars. And now people are, t are told, you know, cars are bad, you know. Everything you have been doing is just ecologically unsustainable. And they told, and they told the working people for years, uh, uh, turn, uh, change over to diesel. And then... Exactly. Exactly. And then, then, but no, now we don't want diesel. I mean, after all of that money was invested, you know, Patrick, that just is a perfect segue is that, you know, this great reset or uh, build back better. And it's nothing to do with working people. As a matter of fact, it's in spite of working people. I mean, they, they want to implement these things through a backdoor, not through the democratic process, because they know that they can't get these uh, people to follow, okay? Because they're, they're either uneducated or they're ignorant or they're religious people. There's always something wrong with that part of the electorate. And this is a sh to short circuit it, to get around them. Go ahead. Well, if you look at uh, the effect of lockdowns, uh, especially in the West, I'm, I'm talking about developed countries in the West, okay, because there's a, it's more pronounced, the, the, the drop in GDP, uh, the loss of, of civil liberties and rights and so forth, all of this stuff, and the unemployment, uh, where the, the, developed world, the undeveloped world, the third world, if you will, uh, was already struggling and, you know, it's, doesn't have a great GDP. So they haven't really felt, and living under despots normally, they haven't felt a, a, as big of a change. So what this has done is depressed the Western economy and almost leveled it out so it's closer. So there's slightly more normalization between the third world and the developed world, which is what uh, Davos uh, says they intend to do. It's what the World Economic Forum wants to socialize uh, consumption. Uh, they want to sort of normalize and even out production. Uh, in, in, in Except for the very rich, I would suppose, right? Yeah, well, if you and here you the the comment you made on fuel is important because if you ban diesel uh, diesel cars and combustion engines, which they've moved that forward to 2030 in the UK, for instance, that's going to basically not only destroy the uh, a, a lot of the car manufacturing, uh, but it's going to drive. There are things that do require fuel, like aviation and maritime, and so what's going to do? It's going to drive the price. The, you know, it's going to restrict the supply, the available supply, the market shrinking. It's going to drive the price up. So the only people who can afford to fly or to ship some of these things uh, by boat 
it's going to be very expensive. It's going to drive the prices up. And so the billionaire class have no problem. They'll be able to fly to the Maldives. They'll be able to go to, you know, the Great Barrier Reef to look at the sharks and whatnot, all the things that they love doing, skiing in Val d'Isere, no problem. But for the rest of uh, the, the middle class has been depressed and crushed. The working class, forget it. They're on U UBI, Universal Basic Income, uh, in this plan. And the Green New Deal is being funded by rating the pensions of the, of the next generation and the current generation and the last generation and uh, what they call releasing, liberating $4 trillion or $10 trillion to fund green tech. If you remember Solyndra under Obama, that $500 million boondoggle that produced yeah. no solar panels, multiply that times 10,000. That's the sort of money you're talking about with the Green New Deal that they want to do. This is just an opening for a massive amount of corporate fraud, uh, basically do-nothing projects, jobs for my friends. And they're talking about sustainable green jobs. You got to be. Yeah, but if, and it, let's just take the example of the uh, of uh, uh, the comb combustible engine, Dima. I mean, this is what a lot of working people do. They're drivers, okay? They uh, they're couriers. Uh, you know, it, for for many people, uh, and, and particularly if you look in, in red states in the United States, um, um, this is absolute necessity. But they're 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 driving forward the elites. I mean, um, without any consideration of what they're going to do. I mean, how many um, uh, hundreds of thousands and millions of people are involved in that part of the economy? Uh, are they just going to be put aside or put them on some kind of um, uh, low-level welfare, just assist, assistance to get through uh, through life? I mean, again, nobody is voting on this, okay? And if it was presented to voters, they would resoundingly say, no. Go ahead, Dima. Well, uh, I think that it's true not only in the United States. Uh, there is something wrong about these green demagoguery. I mean, I'm all for ecology and I'm all for leftist Me too. Me too. I agree. But, you know, uh, uh, some of the formerly ecological leftist parties in Europe are getting just sinister. I mean, the Greens in Germany, who were the symbol of pacifism for many years, now they're the biggest enemies of Russia. They, they believe every lie about Russia and about Turkey and about other countries in the East. And I agree with you completely that a lot of poor people are dependent on the combustion uh, combustion engine. And a lot of uh, countries in the world, are, are, you know, they live off their oil supplies and their gas supplies that they have been providing to rich countries. When the Greens in Germany said, oh, we don't need uh, uh, we don't need North Stream 2 because we are going to have green energy anyway, you know. Well, first, uh, uh, they are denying cheap services to their own people. Okay, Dima, I have to jump in here. We have run out of time. I want to thank my guests in Plymouth and in Moscow, and I want to thank our viewers for watching us here at RTC. And next time, remember, Crosstalk Rules.